What a start to this Florida swing at the Honda Classic. Chris Kirk stamping his comeback complete with PGA Tour win number five in his career and doing so in dramatic fashion. We're going to have more on his playoff victory and the road back for Kirk in the show. And while he scored the official victory, we're going to argue why the man who finished runner-up should be on our list of winners who didn't win this past week at PGA National. And could we also throw certain Monday qualifier onto the list as well? You're going to find out coming up. Plus, friend of the show, Darius Rucker, joins us to discuss the Darius Rucker Intercollegiate, showcasing some of the top women's golf talent in the country. That's airing on Golf Channel. He's going to share what makes this event so special as Golf Today starts next. Golf Today. I owe everything that I have in my entire life to my sobriety. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing this for a living anymore. I probably wouldn't have the the family that I have currently anymore. Um, you know, I was came really close to to losing everything that I cared about, um, and so for that to to have have happened and and worked out for me, um, obviously it was some decisions that I, that I made, but mostly the grace of God and, and a lot of other people that, that really helped me along the way. Um, but yeah, it's a, that's something that's constantly in my mind. So it's, it's pretty easy for me to see that, you know, winning, winning the Honda classic is kind of a bonus, you know, uh, when literally everything, every good thing I have in my life, I owe to that. There's so many parts and perks to winning. What's the best one? Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been, I came into, this week at 47th in the world golf ranking and that's usually not something that i care a whole lot about uh but i have not played the masters since 2016 i think um and you know growing up in georgia that you know kind of means everything to me so i've been i've been watching that world ranking closely trying to you know stay in the top 50 uh, but to to take care of it it this week is you know that's going to be something that's incredibly special you know last time I played my my son my two older sons Sawyer and Foster were I think maybe two just turned two and like four months old um, so now to be able to go back they'll be 11 and 9 and then Wilder my third son will be five um, so that part three contest can't come soon enough. Uh, it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that the, the whole week. Um, but just to, to be able to make those memories with my, with my wife and my kids will be awesome. It's been kind of a theme so far this season on the PGA Tour. Longest victory droughts that have been snapped. Chris Kirk just under eight years to go from four to five on the PGA Tour. Seven years. Nine months and two days, Mackenzie Hughes' drought that ended just under six years when he won the Sanderson Farms Championship. You see some of the other names that are on the list as well. So Chris Kirk, uh, well-liked by his peers, but an understated guy. He's not going to be the loudest guy in the room. He's not the flashiest guy inside the ropes. What, what makes his journey and this story so special? I think it's about transparency. I think it's about honesty. I think it's about sharing. Uh, when you consider the fact that Chris Kirk allowed us into his world at a time when he probably was the most vulnerable in his life. 
when he told the world that he was dealing with an addiction, when he told the world that he was striving to get back on a pathway to sobriety. Uh, even yesterday, he told us that at the worst of times, when, when you look at that time frame, almost eight years from his last win to yesterday afternoon, and think about he was probably literally at rock bottom. He said that he felt like he was close to losing everything in his world that he loved. And the thing that impressed me the most about Chris is that you talk about the fact that he's quiet and he has this great perspective that, that he embraces in terms of gratitude for, for where he is and what he's doing. But in that same press conference yesterday, he spoke about the fact that because of the platform that PGA Tour players are on, that he has had multiple people come out and say, you know, when I found out about your story, when I read about your story or heard about your story, it caused me too to deal with some difficult things that I needed to in my life. And that you don't often think that a professional athlete or a professional golfer and or uh, that could potentially not only change lives, but probably save lives as an example of what they've done. And so for all those reasons, uh, it's really easy to be a fan and to be incredibly proud of what he accomplished. Wholeheartedly agree. I think with Chris Kirk, it, it shows that athletes are human. Too often we see an athlete compete on the court and you just think, okay, that's that's my favorite golfer. He's or that's my favorite point guard for this team or yeah. my favorite quarterback. And you don't realize, okay, well, what's the, the personal life that these guys have when they're away from the bright lights of competition? And, and with golf, we will talk about equipment changes, swing changes, ball changes, all that type of stuff when it comes to performance, either improving or a decrease in performance. It's not often that we get into someone's personal life because they have to volunteer what they're going through. Otherwise, you're prying. But a lot, a lot of times, that's the narrative that's the, where the disconnect is from the fan at home to, to what insiders see is happening with the guy. With Chris, it was his battle to ultimately have sobriety be a big part of his life. For other guys, it could be something with uh, their family, maybe a business they have off to the side. Whatever the case is, it's not often that they let you peek under the hood and show that vulnerability because athletes tend to gravitate towards having a mindset of invincibility. To play this yeah. game at the highest level, you have to think almost from an ego standpoint, that you can beat everyone in the field at the PGA Tour. So it's hard to also then embrace aspects of your life that do show vulnerability. Um, and with Chris, it's part of a renaissance year where he's top 10 now on the PGA Tour in strokes gained total. And he was borderline in the conversation, 2014 Ryder Cup. He has played a President's Cup before in Korea. He's up to 32nd now in the world. Um, it's a far cry from a couple of years ago at the Sony Open where he needed a third-place finish or better just to keep playing privileges on the PGA Tour, finished T2 that week at Wiley. And now there's a good chance with his trajectory going like this where he could be a big part of the conversation when it comes to the team that's heading to Rome to take on the Europeans. You saw it in the highlights, too, where you're talking about this transition that he has gone through, and now all of a sudden at 37, almost 38 years old, we're looking at a player that might be playing the best golf that he's ever played. And I love the fact that he went for it in regulation at 18. I, I realize that we showed the highlight of him hitting the wall, but then this shot with this 60-degree wedge, remember before he hit it, Paul Azinger was saying he's got, he's got adrenaline going, but he's really got to hit this hard. This is a six-degree wedge that's got to carry 92 to get over the penalty area and then 100 to the flag itself, and he stuck it to within inches. And it reminds me of quotes that I heard. I remember the 
1992 PGA Tour Rookie of the Year Mark Carnevale told me one time, he said, you have to risk losing in order to win. And again, isn't that a microcosm of the entire life's path at this point of Chris Kirk? He's on the winning side. And it's uh, it, it's amazing to see the buildup that he's had since retaining his PGA Tour card a couple years ago with the fast start that he's had so far this season on the West Coast swing. And then that carries over to the Florida swing. And he said as a Georgia guy, playing the Masters, pretty big deal. And yeah. it's, it's been a while. And now he gets to share that with his family. His kids are older. I think he said 11, 9, and 5. That par 3 experience is the cherry on top to what, for him, is probably on the short list, if not his most important term of the year. It's pretty good hunting ground for those from the University of Georgia, too, with four of the last ten winners coming from that institution. All right, time now to look at winners who didn't win. Let's start with Eric Cole and take a look at his career biography. You know, he looks younger than this, but he is actually 34 years old. He's a PGA Tour rookie. He has over 50 mini tour victories to his credit. It's like the Crash Davis of the mini tour. <laughs> yeah. He's like a mini tour. In mini tour circles, he's known as a mini tour legend with how many wins he's stacked up. You know what? But he has some lineage. He's uh, the son of tour winner Bobby Cole and LPGA Tour Pro and U.S. Amateur winner Laura Baugh. He was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and Addison's disease. He earned his tour card with a tie for third at the 22 Corn Ferry Tour Championship. He has 15 PGA Tour starts as yet. He is playing this week at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Uh, and he, Todd Lewis had a chance to catch up with him and kind of get a sense of how he's feeling now the day after. All right, Eric, you made your way north here to Bay Hill. You had a little more time to think about what happened at the Honda Classic in that final round. What, what are your biggest takeaways now? Uh, I mean, it's the same thing, I think, as yesterday. I was disappointed I didn't win, but I was really proud of how I played for the whole week. And, uh, you know, I didn't have my best stuff on the last round and kind of hung pretty tough and gave myself a shot on the back nine and in the playoffs. So that was that was. I was proud of that. Mm. What did what did yesterday and this week, last week rather, do for your belief? Uh, I think it did a lot. You know, uh, I hit a lot of really good shots uh, in big pressure situations, and you know the the atmosphere was intense, but it was something that I loved. And uh, you know, it's I think it's a little bit addicting. Like I kind of want to be in that situation again and hopefully get a different result. Um, point out the things you felt like you did well, and maybe things that you want to improve. I, for the first three days, I hit the ball really well. The last day, especially on the front nine, I didn't hit it well at all. But uh, so I'd like to kind of hopefully be able to put four good days of ball striking together. Um, but I putted really well the last day, and uh, I, was, I was happy to see those balls go in. <laughs> uh, you grew up in Orlando, mm -hmm. and you've played on this golf course a lot. Your sponsor's in by here at Bay Hill, the Arnold Palmer Invitational. You won the club championship here in the early 2000s, so there is connectivity here. Uh, what does this golf course and this club mean to you? Oh, it means a ton. You know, a lot of my great memories growing up playing here uh, with my family and with uh, Sam Saunders and his family. And Mr. Palmer uh, hmm. is just something that's so special to me. And, you know, to be able to play the tournament uh, for the first time this year is going to be awesome. I can't wait. Right, and we know this expectations can clog a golfer's mind. But you had such a great week last week. And we talked about what that did for your belief. But has that heightened your expectations internally? 
Uh, I'd say internally, no. Maybe externally, people might be thinking a little bit higher of me. But uh, internally, you know, I've always been pretty confident, uh, you know, in my own head. So, um, you know, I'm just going to kind of continue to do what I've done to get to this point and just kind of stick to the process. And I think the results will take care of themselves. All right. Finally, uh, like I said, you know this golf course. You've had success here. You're playing well. What's a good week for you? Well, like I said, that, that uh, back nine yesterday was a lot of fun, and uh, it's addicting. So I, I kind of want to be in that uh, position again would be great. I'd love to be on the back nine here with a chance to win uh, would be something that uh, I, would, I would love to be. Wish you the best. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks. Great perspective from Eric Cole talking about what was the day before. And, you know, George, I think it's natural. You're, you're talking about sports at large and, and making a comparison to basketball. But when a player, when a team comes so close to the brass ring and then they don't achieve it, I'm always curious what the reaction will be from the individual. He told us that there's disappointment, but you can see there's so much excitement. And I love the way that he said it's addicting. You want to be back in that position again. You can't simulate the pressure of what a Sunday is like until you actually experience it. And then you learn how your body reacts in those type of moments. <laughs> and I thought the takeaway from what we saw on, say, the, the, the par 5 18th in the playoff, the putt that he hit was right on line, a nearly perfect putt. He seemed uh, maybe inwardly had some nerves. You're only human sure. to feel that. Yeah. But externally, it seemed like he was ready to meet the moment, which I think is the takeaway that you want if you're Eric Cole going forward. And he has now kind of has a free role for the rest of the, the PGA Tour season in the sense that top 125 should be locked up. The focus to then reshift to top 70, making the playoffs and knowing, okay, I have a home here, but let's thrive here instead of just sustain here. Yeah, because he's proven to himself that he's capable of it. When in the playoff, when he had that bunker shot, you know, I was looking at his stat afterwards. He was third in overall in scrambling for the week, which was pretty good. But you, I loved his reaction after he hit the shot. And he kind of held his head as he was walking up the fairway like that was the mistake I didn't want to make. Can you imagine having that shot in that situation with that kind of pressure, staring at a flag that's not that far in from the water that's behind it, and you have a long bunker shot to execute, and then lipping it out? I mean, all of that bodes well for who he is and what he did. I want to talk about someone else, too, in Ryan Gerard because I'm curious what your reaction is, that here we were, we let off the show today talking about, sure, the discussion was all about the field at the Honda Classic and that the field obviously was not as strong as the designated events that preceded and follow it. But here in Ryan, we get to see another story of a young person playing well in the opportunity that they're given. And these are the types of stories that the PGA Tour needs interwoven throughout the season, along with seeing the biggest names in the game duke it out head-to-head -head in these designated events. Because how many other sports do you have something comparable where on Monday you don't even know the field's set? And then by Sunday, we're talking about this guy who finished solo fourth, got 135 FedEx Cup points as a non-member. And the number now for him to advance, looking at the PGA Tours article, is 175 
and some change. And he has his spot this week at the Puerto Rico Open. So now since he finished top 10, he's a Corn Ferry guy. Corn Ferry is a little hiatus. It's the perfect time for him to go on this run. And he has a chance of locking up playing privileges for the rest of the season based on if he can carry that momentum over to Puerto Rico this week. And again, young guy, we don't talk about it much, but I thought in the newsroom I heard you mention how much money he actually won yesterday. Yeah, it was over 400000 And picked a great state to do it in, in the state of Florida. He gets to keep a few more of those dollars. The accountants are sitting up in their chairs <laughs> listening to that. Right after break, we'll be joined by three-time Grammy Award winner artist Darius Rucker. He's hosting this week's women's collegiate event on Hilton Head Island. More on the Darius Rucker Intercollegiate when golf today returns. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Let's welcome in the man himself to the show here on Golf Today, Darius Rucker. Darius, great to see you. Uh, what makes this event so important to you? Uh, goodness, you know, we started it 11 years ago as something to, uh, I, I mean, I just wanted to have a women's golf tournament because Hootie's already had a men's college golf tournament, and I want to do something for the Gamecock ladies. And, and so we started doing this, and when Long Cold came on, we knew it was going to be something special. And so uh, for me, I love golf. I love women's golf. And to have my name on a tournament that, that is becoming a pretty prestigious tournament in women's college golf is, is pretty awesome. And now to have it, you know, on the golf channel is awesome. So I mean, it, it just keeps getting better and better. And I hope, you know, we keep doing it. Darius, now that this is the 11th edition of your event, I'm curious if you've actually seen the fruits of your labors, whether it comes from the communities or from the student athletes themselves. Oh, both. You know, the, the the community here at Hilton Head have been amazing, and everybody at Long Cove, you know, the 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 members who house all the kids and and all the stuff that go that go. I mean, it's great. And also, you know, like last night at the show, uh, there's there's so many of the young ladies who come for four years, and they come and they have such a blast, and I, I see them every year, and they thank me every year, and talk about how great the tournament is. So when you get you get the feedback from the players, and you also get and the coaches, and 
everything and help. It, it makes you feel good and makes you want to keep doing it. Darius, you mentioned wh uh, how Long Cove is just such a perfect fit for this event. Why is the layout just the, uh, the ideal landing spot for an event of this stature? Oh, I mean, Long Cove is such an amazing golf course. You know, it's in the top 100. And when you play it, you, you know why it is. It's, they keep it immaculate. The, the, the layout is perfect for, for tournament golf. And, and the people at Long Cove make it even better than the golf courses. So, uh, you know, I, I, we got really blessed when they said they would do it. And, and, the, and every year they sign up for another year. And I can't thank everybody at Long Cove enough. I'd be remiss, Darius, if I didn't ask you how your game is right now. Have you got a chance to play much recently? I do. I do play. I, I get to play a lot. And my game is up and down. You know, I, I could shoot 73 today or I could shoot 85 today. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I love, I love the game and I can't get enough of it. And how much are you touring right now? What's going on with life? Uh, right now, it's pretty tame. Doing a few things here and there. The big tour will start at the beginning of June. Uh, you know, I got to take May off because I got two kids, one graduating from uh, college and the other graduating from high school in May. So we'll, we'll do that. But, uh, uh, you know, the tour starts in June and we'll be out for the rest of the year. Darius, why do you think so many musicians are gravitating towards the game of golf? Is golf's cool factor higher than it was 5, 10, 20 years ago? Oh, I think golf, golf's cool factor is way up. I mean, it was, you know, it was used to be the uh, – the old rich white guys game and now it's just the game of uh, everybody's getting out there and playing and it's a wonderful thing and i love to see musicians play like i play on the road every day and, and usually whoever's opened it up with for me or whatever if they play we'll go out and play together and i got there's so many friendships especially in nashville i have so many friendships that's that that's around that's surrounded by golf because and it's all musicians and stuff like that and so uh i think golf is just that game that you can play at any age at any time and you can get enjoyment out of it, and people love to do it together. And, you know, for me, it's my, my only hobby. It's my favorite thing in the world to do. Darius, re regardless of the path that one chooses, whether it's the arts or somewhere else, I'm really curious what advice you give to these young people, to these student athletes, when they come to you for just a little pearl of wisdom about what path they should be on. The one thing I, 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 I always stress is the hard work. I mean, nothing great ever comes easy. And I say to people all the time, if you're not put, willing to put in the work, don't even start doing what you're going to do. And, and that goes great for student athletes because they have to work so hard, not just on their game, but also in academics and all the other stuff they have to do. So, uh, you know, I always tell anybody that asks me advice, if you're going to do it, be ready for the hard work. And if you're not ready for the hard work, don't do it. So well said, especially for the game of golf. you got to enjoy the grind before you're ready to really thrive inside the ropes. Darius, great catching up with you. Thank you. Great talking to you guys. Thank you, guys. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. We welcome in Golf Week senior writer Beth Ann Nichols, who joins us now with more. So, Beth Ann, could you take us through Vu's journey to get to this point in her career? Well, first of all, what she just said just gets you right there, doesn't mm, it? How, it does. how much a powerful moment can can stick with you and change your life. But what, what I love about Lilia Vu is, you know, she's one of those players that it wasn't a, a straight line to the winner's circle. You know, she actually thought about quitting the game when she came out on the LPGA. She was an eight-time winner at UCLA. She spent 31 weeks at the top of the world in the in the, in the the Wagger rankings, the world amateur rankings. And, and, and she only made one cut that rookie year on the LPGA. And she thought about quitting the tour and going to law school and her mom talked her out of it, convinced her to stay the course. And, and here she is. She said she had that great perspective change after the death of her grandfather. And, and, and really when I talked to her last year, she's, you know, enjoying this tremendous uh, rise on the LPGA. She was saying she's, she's loving golf more and more every day. And Stacey Lewis told me last year that, you know, it wouldn't surprise her at all if Lilia Vu did not need a pick to make the Solheim Cup team if she played her way on. And so, you know, I think she's just she has a great mindset right now. She she said, you know, I I knew I was going to win on this tour. It was just a matter of when. And you feel like that that confidence, you, you know, wouldn't surprise any of us to see her her back in the winner's circle again this year. From a former world number one in the amateur rankings to a former world number one in the professional ranks with Jin Young Ko had been a minute since we had seen her on the first page of a leaderboard, had that T6 finish at the Honda LPGA Thailand. What were your takeaways from her performance? Well, it's the first time that we've seen her have four consecutive rounds in the 60s since the Evian, which was last summer. So it's it's been a long time. Of course, she's been dealing with this wrist injury, and there was a lot of question marks over, you know, what it would be like when she came she came back to the tour. And, and she said, she just said, it's, it's getting better. She didn't give us a lot of... Uh, a verbal explanation of how she's feeling, but I think her game spoke volumes there. And she also talked about how she cried a lot with her mom and dad, you know, in, in the last few months, because it's, it's a tough journey when your expectations are so high, you've had so much success and, and now you're far from that. So, you know, she said that she started meditating in the off season a day and night, and that that's really helped her achieve a, a better balance in her life. Because, you know, as, as tough as it was physically for her with the wrist, I think it was just as tough mentally. Beth Ann, it was another good week for Maya Stark, who finished the week in a tie for fourth. She had some comments earlier in the week, though, that I know caught your attention. Could you tell us about that? Well, Maya Stark is quickly becoming one of my favorite players in the interim. She's 
She's funny. She's honest. She's vulnerable. She's everything you, you could want from a player. And, and she said earlier this week that she had a conversation with Suzanne Patterson, who of course will be her Solheim cup captain here later this year and, and, and a hero of hers growing up. And she admitted to Suzanne that she feels terrified that she's going to mess up out there. And Suzanne said, are you human? Is your heart beating? <laughs> because if so, that's going to happen. And you, you just have to power through. And, and she said, you know, I have wonderful coaches in Sweden, but they haven't been in these situations like, like a Suzanne has. And so to get advice and to be able to, to be vulnerable like that with Suzanne, you know, me meant a lot to Maya. And I, I just love that, that ability to, to share how she's really feeling. She said that Suzanne referred to her as, as a, a bulldog. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm not really that way. I'm, I, or a pit bull. I can't remember which one it was. She said, I'm more like a golden retriever. She said, I don't know where she got that, that idea that I'm that way. She said, I know I might look like I'm mean on the golf course, but that's not at all how I'm feeling inside. Yeah. She's more, I guess, determined in her mind. Uh, you mentioned one team competition with Solheim Cup. There's another one just a, a couple months from now, plus at TPC Harding Park with the International Crown, San Francisco, May 4th through 7th. What's the race like on the American side? It's tight. And Lilia Vu has just cropped up in there into that top four at number 12 in the world right now. It was just last year. She was ranked around this time. She was ranked outside of 200. So a huge jump for Lilia. You've got Jessica Corda coming back to action this week in Singapore after a long break with her, her back. Uh, you've got Andrea Lee not too far out of there. Megan Kang, Danielle Kang. You know, there's only three events left to qualify for this thing. So we've had kind of a slow start to the season, but it's really going to crank up here in March, and, and there's a lot to play for. And, Bethann, did I hear in the break that you have golden retrievers Speaking on the Speaking of. <laughs> couldn't let you Speaking go before. Of, that's probably why that quote spoke to me. My, my <laughs> husband and I are, are getting another golden retriever. We're so excited. Awesome. <laughs> nice addition to the uh, Nichols household, Bethann. Great catching up. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so let's see who's in the race to the CME Globe. Lilia Vu banking 500 points projected to move all the way up to second. Remember, we're just two events in, so it makes sense that she and Brooke Henderson would be one, two. Hang tight. More golf today on the other side of the short break. Welcome back to Golf Today. This week, of course, the PGA Tour moves from Palm Beach Gardens to the Bay Hill Club and Lodge for the Arnold Palmer Invitational presented by MasterCard. You can catch the live coverage Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern right here on Golf Channel. The Arnold Palmer Invitational, it is a designated tournament on the PGA Tour this season. It features top players on the 2022 Players Impact Program standings. This tournament also has additional elevated status as it offers 550 FedEx Cup points to the winner. More than 500 points given to the winners. It's 500 points anyways given to the winners of regular non-major tournaments. So we got the stars teeing it up at Arnie's place this week. You look at the Bay Hill degree of difficulty, hardest non-major PGA courses a year ago, it was Bay Hill, nearly two shots over par, field scoring average of 73.9, just a brutal test mm. last year at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. So for more, let's welcome in Todd Lewis, who is our reporter this week. Todd, you've had an, an initial look at the course. Is your prediction more pain or is it going to be a friendly Bay Hill this week? 
Well, it, it looks as tough as ever, and a lot of the, the scores are going to be weather-dependent. We're going to get into that in a moment, but you're right. As, as far as difficulty on the PGA Tour, this golf course here at Bay Hill has been one of the toughest in recent years. Back in 2020, Terrell Hatton won with a score of four under par, one of only four players that broke par for the week. Just last year, Scotty Scheffler won at five under par. Only 10 players broke par for the week as well. So, yes, this is a very challenging golf course, and you can easily make the argument that this is the toughest course on the Florida swing, which says a lot if you count last week at PGA National and the next week at TBC Sawgrass. What makes this golf course so difficult? Well, one thing you can look at is the rough. It is very, very challenging here if you miss the fairway. Mr. Palmer wanted players to... You know, pay the price if you miss the fairway. The rough here is going to be at four inches. Now, there's a little bit of good news in that because that's a quarter inch lower than it was last year. And talking to some of the people on staff here, they say that the rough, although dense in areas, not as dense in others. So it could be quite manageable to get around the golf course. But I'm not saying it's going to be easy if you miss the fairway because the rough here is very, very difficult. Talking to Bland Cooper, who is the agronomist on site for the PGA Tour, he says it's still going to be a challenge. The other issue here at Bay Hill, the greens. Tiff Eagle greens, they roll beautifully, but they can get some speed into them, close to 14, roughly at around 13 and a half. However, if you look at the forecast for this week, again, weather dependent on the scores here, take a look at the forecast for Friday. The wind speeds sustained are expected to be 20 to 30 miles per hour, gusts even higher. So the PGA Tour and the agronomy staff have to prepare for that. So they will not have the green speeds up on Thursday to, again, get ready for that Friday to make sure that the green speeds aren't too fast and balls will start moving around. So Thursday will be a green light day here. Friday is going to be a challenging day. And then once the winds die down for the weekend, well, they're going to reduce the water. They're going to make sure that they double cut, uh, double roll, maybe even triple roll the greens, get them fast and firm. So the weekend is going to be drier and, and firmer for this golf course, and it is going to be a challenge. I'm not saying you're going to have a winner that's going to shoot two or three under, but I, I don't see it in the 15 under range like we saw last week. Todd, with everything you just ran through there, the, the density of the, the rough because of the overseed, the fact that the winds are going to be kicking up, the fact that it's Tiff Eagle greens that are be rolling upwards to 14, uh, the fact that before the cut you look like you have temperatures that are nearly 90 degrees there, which is just going to feed all yeah. of those conditions. I'm curious what kind of mentality, what kind of stamina do the players need in a week that's coming up? Well, you hear this all the time, Matt. You hear the word patience on the PGA Tour, and patience is definitely going to be a big factor here. Look, you make a bogey here on this golf course, it's not going to be that big a deal. Yeah, double bogey at worst obviously is going to be a problem, but especially on the weekend, expect these, this golf course on the fairways and on the greens to change some color. Now, that's for this week, but also let's not forget, this has been a big stretch for some of the big players on the PGA Tour. I've already seen Tom Kim and Victor Hovland arriving on a Monday to get ready for this tournament. And like I said, this has been a big stretch. You go from the Waste Management Phoenix Open all the way through to the players next week. That's four designated events in a five-week stretch. Then after that, not too long after that, actually, there is match play in Austin, then Valero, match play being a designated event. And right after Valero, you got two more designated events in the Masters and then the RBC Heritage. So 
mentally the players have to prepare for these big stretches, these big tournaments. And so far, talking to the players early on in this year, they've been very comfortable mentally. Physically, though, they have to be prepared. They have to make sure they rest their body. And a lot has to do with pro-ams. Here at Bay Hill at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, there's an 18-hole pro-am uh, for the players on Wednesday. But if you look forward after that, no pro-am at the Players' Championship. There'll be obviously no pro-am at the Masters, no pro-am at match play. So that will help reduce the wear and tear on their body. But overall, so far early on in these designated events, uh, in this designated events year, players have been very excited. Uh, they have been very um, patient, I'll use that word. And obviously they're very happy. And so are their agents and their accountants when they're playing for $20 million purses, right? <laughs> I'd say the, the entire family, the entire team, <laughs> everyone's got to be ecstatic sure. with the influx that we've seen with the purses for these designated events. You hear Todd chart out the week at Bay Hill. I think it's kind of fitting that it's slotted in as the most difficult course in the PGA Tour in recent memory because we know how that's the king would have wanted it. He wanted the rough thick, he wanted these greens firm, and he wanted guys to have to grind out a win where – four, six, seven under could ultimately be the winning score. You know, it's amazing because I actually don't think that the Florida swing gets the credit it deserves for how difficult a run it is. We go from last week at PGA National, which usually has crosswinds that make it nearly impossible to try to figure out the riddle. Here we are at Bay Hill, which is, as you just described, exactly as Mr. Palmer wanted it to be. It is a test. You need to drive it long. You need to drive it straight. And when you're on those greens, you need to be steady with the flat stick because of the speed. From there, we go to the stadium course, which is never easy. And with the weather that they've had in Florida this year, that should be running hard and fast as well. And then a little bit down the road, we've got the Valspar Championship taking place at Innisbrook. And that Copperhead course annually is talked about it being maybe the best course of all of them on the swing. It's an amazing combination. But when it comes to Bay Hill, I, I think for me personally, George, and I know we're going to talk about this some more as the, as the days unfold, I think it's so important that the PGA Tour honors Arnold Palmer because of the impact that he's had on the game. If you, if you look at the players uh, that are playing the game right now, they all seem to be aware of the fact that the game of golf would not exist as it does currently at the top tier of competitive golf without Mr. Palmer and the massive, massive impact he made in bringing the game of golf to the people. Yeah, that's a legacy that needs to be honored, honored annually, honored in the right vein in which the PGA Tour has been doing that so far. It's befitting that we see 44 of the top 50 players in the world who are in the fold this week. And it's such a great stretch for golf fans to have four out of five events designated. We had that thrilling finish last week. You're, you're seeing all these different styles of courses, some historic layouts on the West Coast, some that are just a stadium like at TPC Scottsdale that's the biggest party. And, and now in Florida, I feel like we get into the part of the schedule that is just a mental Ryan yeah. for these guys and it's fun to watch for oh, us I don't want to live it necessarily when when four under could win the tournament I'll tell you what I love about Bay Hill is on Friday afternoon and I'll do it this year too I go I don't know if you if you used to do this when, when you were down in Orlando but I will go and sit above the 18th green and I just watch guys grind to just make the cut and that par 4 18th is so difficult if if your cut depends on whether you do something or don't do something on that hole and then you see a player take a chance 
and you watch the ball bounce off those stones that front that green, I mean, there's drama to come even before we get to Sunday. Uh, how about 90-degree temps this yeah. week? Unseasonably warm so far in Florida. This is the first event that I can think of this season, the PGA Tour schedule, where heat is actually going to be a factor. We don't often say that February leading in the first week of March. All right, still more to come. Uh, what's the beef between Roy McIlroy and Sergio Garcia? Sergio saying things have recently changed from friends to foes. We're going to have more as Sergio with some sound bites you're going to want to hear when we return. We're back on Golf Today. So Rory McIlroy and Sergio Garcia have been a dynamic duo for years. Close friends. They were paired in numerous Ryder Cups, and Rory was in Sergio's wedding in 2017. Sergio Garcia, however, detailed in a recent interview ahead of Live Golf Mayakoba just how much things have changed. Here is what he said, quoting, I think it's very sad. I think that we've done so many things together and had so many experiences that for him to throw that away just because I decided to go to a different tour, well, it doesn't seem very mature, lacking maturity, really. But Rory's got his own life, and he makes his own choices the same way that I make mine. I respect his choices, but it seems like he doesn't respect the ones that I make. So, one-way street, close quote. As was, the world turns. Yeah, I was. you know what I was going to ask you, George? Is there anything about what's happening here? Is this, is this about throwing sand in the sandbox, or is there something more? It seems like a natural schism that you thought would happen with Sergio going to live and then the byproduct of, of it being where Rory has landed as being not just remaining on the PGA Tour, but has really taken on this mantle of being kind of the mouthpiece and the spokesperson for the PGA Tour. It's a catch-22 for Rory McIlroy. If you're Rory, any live news, you're asked about it. Mm -hmm. And Rory's very transparent and forthcoming when it comes to sharing what's on his mind. That's why he's one of the best interviews. He's on the short list yeah. in the game of professional golf. But I know there's probably some fatigue. If you're on the other side of the aisle, and it seems each and every week, Rory is vocalizing his side. Versus if you're a live golf advocate, and you have guys who are, are, are speaking on behalf of live, and then you're also, a, a, say, a friends, a PGA Tour fan, then they'd be sick of hearing the live takes. I think when you look at the two, I'm curious if it's just Rory and Sergio, if there have been fractures with, I don't know, Rory Lee Westwood or Rory and Ian Poulter, if these have gone on down the line, or if it was these two literally breaking down what Rory said, where he said Sergio sent him a zinger to say, cool it a little bit with the rhetoric, and Rory threw a bar back, and then they both are just incommunicado after that, I wonder if time will eventually heal all, all wounds or if this is going to be a long-term break. What I you thought, think? you know, at the J.P. McManus event, uh, which was at Adair Manor in Ireland this summer in advance of the Open, I thought that there had been kind of a cooling of the heated rhetoric amongst the players because they were there together. And many times when you're talking about professional athletes, you get to a point to say, look, you made a decision. We all play for money. You made a decision to go play for money there. And I disagree with it, but that's where it ends. However, with this one, I do think that there's definitely more to it. The, the piece of it that seems odd to me is that when you're talking about Sergio Garcia, 
Sergio has had a pretty good history of petulant moments in and around the game of golf. There's many that can come to mind. This one was in Saudi Arabia in 2019 when he attacked this, this bunker viciously. And it's not the only one, whether it was spitting in a cup or what have you. Now, I'm not saying that Rory McIlroy is absolutely perfect relative to the same because he's had his occasions where he has shown his frustrations, whether it's throwing a club in the water at Doral or here he is with the ripped shirt out of presumably frustration there. It's, it's just interesting to me that Sergio chose to define it as a lack of maturity given the balance of the things that we have seen. Now, again, I'm going to go down the road of where you are, George, where I say, first of all, I'm glad that players are being honest with us, that they're not hiding behind platitudes and they're not trying to make it into something that it isn't. But the one piece that it, I was I was with a buddy from the European tour this past weekend, and the one piece that I think uh, players are missing is that the players on the PGA Tour and the players on the European Tour are looking at former friends, in some cases, on live and saying they are suing us. And that's the piece that I think the players that are on live are missing the part of that the players from these other tours are actually feeling insulted by the lawsuit because it's costing a lot of money. And Adair Manor was a month before the in-suit the lawsuit was filed. Good point. So clearly the uh, the temperature has certainly changed since then from, say, August of last year moving forward.